Hello and welcome to In A Good Place, the wellbeing and personal development podcast from Hello, hosted by me, Rosie Nixon. We're now in our third series and I'm so happy to have you here. In each episode, I chat to an inspirational personality for a catch up on life away from the spotlight and learnings about how they look after their mental and physical health. I ask each guest to come to the recording with some reset moments to discuss. A reset is when your life moves into a new chapter and I love discovering how they go about navigating that time. I'm certain that whatever you're going through, there's someone out there who has experienced something similar. There are plenty of tips and takeaways in every episode, and I hope that you'll pick up some useful support and feel less alone by listening to this conversation. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please do give this podcast a follow and share your thoughts with friends or with me on social media. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor for this episode, Hada Labo Tokyo. It's a widely known fact that the menopause can take a toll on our bodies, with dehydrated skin being a common symptom for many menopausal women. If you couple this with fluctuating hormones, our skin can be left feeling more sensitive and sometimes prone to irritation. But fortunately, Hada Labo Tokyo's premium range of hydrating skincare products is here to help. Formulated with seven different types of hyaluronic acid, their products are designed to boost moisture and directly address any dryness that can occur in more mature skin types. It's no wonder why they're Japan's number one selling skincare range. Whilst many regimes recommend multiple serums and lotions, which can require a lot of time and investment, Hada Labo Tokyo's premium range is made up of hero products that provide everything you need to replenish and soothe your skin on a daily basis. They make your routine simple whilst allowing us a very important moment of self-care. Their ingredient-led products aim to help women feel more confident in our own skin, especially those of us experiencing menopausal or perimenopausal symptoms. So thank you, Hada Labo Tokyo, for sponsoring our episode today and making us feel great. Today, we have double the fun on the podcast because I'm doing a menopause special and there are two ideal women in my address book to discuss this important topic with me. So welcome Lisa Snowden and Dr. Negat Arif. These two clever women have a lot in common. They're both presenters on this morning. Both are authors having first published their first books this year. Lisa's just getting started. Lessons in Life, Love and Menopause came out in May of this year. And in August, Dr. Negat's first book, The Knowledge, A Guide to Female Health from Menstruation to Menopause, was published in August. So congrats, ladies, on writing these important books. Both Lisa and Negat are passionate campaigners on the subject of gaining better access to healthcare, information and treatment for women going through the menopause. The perimenopause and menopause time of life marks a huge reset for many women. Yet the way it can impact our lives varies so much from woman to woman with factors from lifestyle to ethnicity to biology all playing their part and for some of us myself included it can feel like an absolute minefield to navigate so I know we're going to have an interesting and much needed conversation today and hopefully one that will leave you feeling a little less daunted and more supported wherever you are in your health journey or if you're supporting a woman going through it conversations 
conversations like this where we can share our stories and experience and hear from a medical professional for factual advice, all in a supportive space, are so important. So welcome to the podcast, ladies. Great to have you here. We're going to kick off with our eponymous question, which is, are you in a good place? Let's go to you, Lisa, first on this one. I am in a very good place. Lovely to see you both. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, I'm in a good place. I'm celebrating the fact that I am happy. I'm healthy. Yeah, feel very blessed. Oh, pleased to hear it. And what about you, Nigat? I am in a good place, mainly because I'm with you, gorgeous ladies. And you always, <laughs> I think that if you have um, an awesome tribe and you connect with each other, then that always is uplifting. I'm slightly not so happy with world events, uh, slightly not so happy with what's happening in the NHS. But actually, do you know what? That's just life and we will get ups and downs. But on the whole, like Lisa, feel quite blessed where we are mm. at the moment. Well, you are both such kind of brilliant women who do put that sort of emphasis often on the positives or the fact that there are always things to be grateful for, even when we're going through difficult times. And there's so much to discuss with you today. And I'm really keen to give you both equal airtime because you've both got such brilliant (laughs) stories. And I want to understand your experiences and what we can learn from you. So I'll kick off with you, Lisa, to discuss your menopause experience first, if that's okay. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So I've got your book right here with lots of pages turned down because there is so much in it. Um, how did your perimenopause journey begin? So my journey began almost 10 years ago. So I was in my early 40s and I was at a time when I hadn't ever heard the word perimenopause. So it wasn't on my radar at all. It wasn't anything that I'd learned in school. It wasn't a word that I knew. It wasn't a, a phase or a stage in a woman's life that I understood either. Um, I always knew that the menopause was something that I would potentially experience, but I wasn't sure when that was going to be. Um, I did kind of ignorantly think that that was going to be really, really far off in the future. And a menopausal woman in my mind didn't look like the ladies I now know to be menopausal and, and myself as well. It was somebody who was very frail, much, much older. But this is all due to the fact that there just wasn't any information. There wasn't any education. So the beginning, my symptoms looking back now, it was anxiety. It was really low mood, dark mood. I used to burst into tears really easily. I couldn't process stress. Certain things that I used to be able to do became near impossible. I used to be kind of scared some days to leave the house. I was just really kind of a lot of fear, a lot of panic, a lot of uh, just no confidence in myself. And they were the kind of beginning symptoms. Mm. And so I went to the doctor and I kind of poured my heart out, burst into tears. The poor guy just looked at me like, oh my God, what am I going to do with this woman? And he prescribed me antidepressants. And, you know, looking back now, Mm. I can kind of see where he was coming from because I was sort of like, you know, just in bits. And I wasn't explaining myself very clearly. Mm. And, you know, I, I think that's why I'm so passionate 
about talking about this time in our lives and us ladies being prepared and not scared about the perimenopause and menopause because you do kind of need mm. to understand and recognise what's happening to you, which I, of, of course, didn't. If I'd had the information to say, hang on a minute, this is really out of character for me. I don't usually feel like this. I'm usually quite upbeat. And yes, you know, there are things that get you down. And of course, and not every day is perfect. And like you said, Nigat, you know, world events and life and you know seeing other people suffering that that all gets to to us and crushes our spirit as well but it was I couldn't Mm. articulate what was happening so I took the antidepressants and I went off home but I knew deep inside that that wasn't what I needed now the thing that's clever about perimenopause I found is it's quite sneaky and it kind of shift shapes into different symptoms so once I'd sort of got over the sort of sadness, the depression and sort of done a few things to try and make myself feel better. Then my monthly cycle started to go all over the place. And that should have been a big telltale sign for me. You know, rather than a 28 day cycle, it went to 23 days and it went to 14 days and I was bleeding every other day. And it was heavy. It was heavy, like almost debilitating pain and so heavy that I couldn't leave the house some days. It was you know, hideous. Wow. And I went to a gynecologist about it and, and, and even she who, she didn't even mention that this could be hormonal changes or even the word perimenopause was, was never even mentioned in that conversation. So again, the next few years, I kind of struggled on and didn't know and sort of tried to navigate it myself. And then I started to get rages and anger and then hot flushes and sweats and night sweats and all that sort of stuff. And so that was kind of mm. up and down roller coaster of symptoms for about six, seven, eight years. Um, so yeah, it was it was tricky. And um, you know, you hear about this so much now from women. You you know, this these are these are quite common symptoms, and we all now know now that there's about sixty and counting, and that estrogen is responsible for mm. so much. Hormones are responsible for so much. You know, it's like I think our whole lives we've Ugh. been kind of ruled by our hormones, and we've just had to deal with it. But it got to this stage where I couldn't deal with it anymore. I just felt absolutely hideous. And um, I went to a couple of different doctors. Mm. It was finally identified that it was perimenopause. I was given some progesterone cream, which I now know wasn't what I needed. Um, And that's why I wrote the book, because I want to fast track women's diagnosis. I want them to get the right help, know where to go and understand when to seek help and, you know, when to, what to look for in these changes in their body as well. Um, Because it took me a long time to work it out and I wasted a lot of time a lot of money and um you know I could have lost my job because some days I didn't want to work and I could have lost my partner because I was absolutely horrible and hideous to him so yeah that was my kind of journey over the last 10 years 19 years wow and there's so much there isn't there I mean the antidepressants as well we hear that quite a lot certainly in my friendship circle that's happened to many women did you find that they helped you at all? And how were you able to sort of disentangle what could be going on? Because with so many symptoms, I think that's why women often feel so overwhelmed. It's like, where do you begin? Which one do you take the most seriously? Is it depression on one hand? You know, is how do you join the dots and pull it all together? Do you think that was an age thing perhaps as well? Why the doctor went that route initially? Well, I, I, I don't know why he went that. I kind of understand. I, I was like a woman possessed. I just burst into tears and I just couldn't express what was happening. So I think I did look like somebody who was displaying signs of depression. And so, I, you know, I'm not NHS bashing at all. We now know lots more. And also antidepressants, there is a place for them. This isn't a bad thing. You know, if you need them, 
you absolutely should take them mm. and they can sit really well I'm sure Nigat will will back me up with HRT if you do, if you did want to take them together it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help but I knew I took them but it wasn't yeah. really doing anything it wasn't really it just didn't help and mm. it just happened by accident that I was on holiday with George it was one of our first holidays together and I'd forgotten to pack them with me my pills my antidepressants so I had three pills left on a week's trip and obviously, you have to be careful when you're coming off medication. You have to do it properly. But I didn't have my pills with me. So I had to somehow wean myself off. And so I did. And luckily, it was all safely done. And, and I was fine. There were no kind of weird contraindications or side effects. But that was, for me, the decider that that wasn't what I needed. Because it just I didn't even scratch the surface of, of mm -hmm. my sadness or anything like that. And George yeah. was very, very understanding. He was like... I honestly just don't think it's that. I think it's something else because I'd have these panics and I'd be flipping out and it wasn't just like, oh, I'm really low. I don't want to get up and go to work. It was so many other things as well. And looking back now, it's kind of classic perimenopause symptoms for us ladies. So that's kind of how it worked out. That's how I yeah. unpicked what was happening. And it was kind of, it was like fate. I just left my pills by mistake and came off them. And, you know, then my wow. hellish journey continued. How would you recommend that a woman could advocate for herself within the healthcare system? Did you sort of track your symptoms over a period of time so that you could go to the doctor with a clearer sense of what it could be? Well, looking back now, that's exactly what I, I should have done, but I didn't know what was happening. And I think when you're knee deep in perimenopausal yeah. symptoms, it seems like, oh, in hindsight, I should have done that. But you you can't think straight half the time. You know, you're barely sleeping. You can't put right. one foot in front of the other, let alone go, oh, I'm going to make really logical, ra rational decisions. Like all of that common sense goes out the window. So that's why I always say to write down your cycles, start listening to your body, start writing down symptoms that you experience, whether it's sleep deprivation, hair changes, skin changes, anything, just write it down keep a diary, keep a journal of what's happening. And then when you do go to the doctor, you're armed with this list of information of your cycles, count your days, how long are you bleeding? How are they changing? Are they really light? Are they really heavy? Just so that you are then prepared when you go into the doctor's surgery and you can say, could this potentially be my hormones? Mm. Obviously rule out other things, but this is kind of what's happening. This is my cycle. These are my symptoms. So that's how I always now tell women to kind of go forward and get mm. and get the help that they need but we have to kind yeah. of take responsibility for ourselves in that way and be organized and also speaking to the person that is the menopause expert within your practice because there's a lot of you know you could get passed around doctors that maybe don't have that expertise because how can they you know there's yeah. so much out there yeah. for gps you know to to be experts in that um getting to speak to the right person at the practice seems to help too so what did real meaningful help for menopause look like for you conversation that was huge understanding that I wasn't alone sharing that with my community um, all of us kind of just throwing our different issues symptoms problems into the mix and just knowing that you're not alone, I think that that for me was such a comfort. And I know for sure that that helped my community too. 
we just all connected much on a much deeper level and it would just you just suddenly just feel like there's a weight lifted from your shoulders and you're like I'm not going mad mm. okay I, I okay I can feel like myself yeah. again I know what I need to do to get the help sharing is caring as far as like explaining and sharing your symptoms with other people and that's a lifeline that's what you need it's about being able to talk to people and then once you do that, you can then communicate with your loved ones and your family members and your work colleagues. And you can kind of get more of a grasp and a kind of handle on what's happening and how you want to communicate that to other people to kind of try and make them understand that this is just a little blip. It's just a little transition. I just need a little bit of extra help at the moment, a little bit of patience, a little bit of time. And that's literally all it is. Mm. But just knowing that you're not alone is the first step. And that big hug, even from a stranger, where you're just like, oh, yeah. Oh my god and you know it's a shoulder to cry mm. on if you need it yeah and your book has all of that kind of warmth it really does feel like you're best friends with Lisa and you're having a nice lovely supportive <laughs> chat with her it's such a lovely supportive read and extremely honest because um, it was HRT that helped you wasn't it oh yeah absolutely absolutely yeah game changer and how, how was... did you get that um prescribed I in the end it was my fourth doctor and it was Dr. Potter Naomi who reached out to me on Instagram and I think I'd written a post that said hot hashtag hot flushes and I think she was like oh I think she's talking about the menopause and so she slid into my dms um little sneaky slider on into dms and um and she reached out and we started talking and I explained what had happened and the doctors and what they'd prescribed to me and she was like oh you need estrogen you absolutely need estrogen I was like nobody's offered me estrogen what is going on so it was it was her it was Naomi and we can we started our midweek menopause madness chats and that again grew the community every day is a, a school yeah. day when it comes to perimenopause and menopause and hormones and symptoms and HRT and just learning about the body and how you know us ladies need to kind of really look after ourselves but HRT was amazing but it isn't a silver bullet it's not like you take HRT and then everything's perfect you know you still need to make lifestyle changes and did you have to play around with your doses of HRT? Did you start on something and then, you know, change that over time? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not one size fits all and you have to do you do have to tweak it, you have to keep an eye on it, but you also have to be patient with it. You know, it's not going to work overnight. So I think it's just initially I I I do the spray, so it was like start with one spray, then start with two and then slowly increase it, but slowly and be patient. Um, it's not a miracle, you know, you just need to let the body sort of start to rebalance and to start to, you know, see if you absorb it anyway, because everybody's different. Everybody's skin's different. That's what I've that's what I've learned. Um, and there's different mm. products that you can use as well, gels and sprays and patches and pills and all that kind of thing. So it's a very individual journey and it's a very individual process as well. But my, my one tip would be just be patient. Don't be too flippant if something, if you don't feel any results immediately or any changes you just have to go slowly and I was also using eutrogesterone yeah. the progesterone um orally and after about five months I did notice that I was very puffy and very swollen and so we decided to use it vaginally which is off license but certain doctors can prescribe it you have to ask your doctor though it can't just be you deciding mm. it and so at each step of the way with your HRT it has to be in line with what your doctor recommends um, it's not just something that you should yeah. be up getting from a friend or getting from some unorthodox source you know it needs to be monitored it's still mm -hmm. something that is you know you have to be care not careful but you have to you know you just can't just be like borrowing your mates 
estrogen it has to be prescribed by your yes. doctor and now yeah. i take testosterone it's not a one size no up. no it's not and i know when there was all these shortages that you know people were like meeting in car parks and being like hey have some, have some of my hrt <laughs> it was like the hrt dealers but um you have to be <laughs> yeah. you have to be careful i know yeah. i was i was low on progesterone i was kind of tempted to do yeah. that too well yeah. listen i wouldn't have blamed you because a lot of people were like has anybody got any spare progesterone you know and if, if you have got a packet and it's what you would normally take and then your friend had extra then i'm sure that that's fine but um yeah i guess it's just it, it's not it's not changing brands and it's not changing uh regimes i guess that would be the, my main advice so the testosterone when did that come in for you probably about four months into being on my estrogen i just felt like i needed something else i was obviously also concerned about libido and not having that kind of feeling of va va voom anymore but I think that I perhaps put too much faith in testosterone, like it was going to just turn me into a 16-year-old girl again. <laughs> and it doesn't. I'm like, does it not? Where's the libido? I'm oh. still searching. Um, it's not really, it's, it hasn't really got back to where I want it to, but... I mean, how honest can I yeah. be on this podcast, Rosie? What, how- you can be really honest. Please do. I think it's so important we have honest chats. Okay. Sex life is fine. Yeah. Vaginal dryness is fine. Yeah, exactly. Like we, That's the thing. These I, are all things that real. women are going through. It's real, right? So yeah. I know that a lot of women, like we think, right, we want it's testosterone. Real. We want to be swinging from the chandeliers again. We want to have like amazing orgasms and, you know, a really healthy sex life. And you know what? Mm. When I was in my perimenopausal years, my, I couldn't orgasm. Like I just couldn't. But now, even though I don't have many orgasms the quality is better and I truly believe that's down to the testosterone I'm not rampant for it but when I do the quality is there again and that's what's really great so there's okay. silver linings with testosterone yeah. but it's not just about libido and, and Nigat's obviously much more knowledgeable hashtag the knowledge mm. um with 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 HRT and and <laughs> um so but I know that it does sometimes help with if you're still having brain fog and if you're having kind of low energy it helps just to give you that little bit more joy de vivre and that sort yeah. of more oomph um which helps yeah. with obviously working out and muscles mm-hmm. and getting stronger again so I think sometimes it is the missing piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. but I, I think with, that we shouldn't put too much emphasis on it and that women should panic if they can't get it um because I know that there's a big like oh I need testosterone yeah. why do you need testosterone well I just think I need it. And I'm like, but you need to know why you need it. Do you know what I mean? You don't just take it because you think you need it. So no. I think women need to do a bit of homework and kind of mm-hmm. dig deep. And, and also it's bloody expensive. So don't take it unless you need to. So expensive. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And alongside that, so you've got your um, estrogen, the progesterone, testosterone, and, you know, finding that in the, you know, the right measures that are going to suit you individually is absolutely key. But what about additional supplements? Do you take sort of other supplements to help keep other elements of your menopause in check? I take everything, yeah. Rosie. You know me. I'm such a like... Which are you... Well, I do. I do watch your Instagram and I know you're very, very up on lots of different things. And I collagen do. on there I too. take my collagen. I uh, take my Amigas. I take magnesium to go to sleep. I take melatonin some days when I can't sleep. 5-HTP. Um, yeah. I take the the Lima supplements. Yeah, I, I, I rattle. If you shake me, I rattle. Absolutely. Um, but then I also make my smoothies <laughs> and I put different, you know, sort of adaptogens in. So ashwagandha and things like that as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I eat really well. Like I'm really kind of into my food and I think we do do need to nourish ourselves at this time in our lives and really look at our diet and what we're consuming. Well, watching your Instagram is so brilliant and it really is a place to go if you're listening to this podcast and you are thinking that you could be sort of experiencing some of the symptoms because Lisa, you have shown it all. And I remember there've been times when I've watched your Instagram and you've been upset or having a wobbly day, you know, and you've shown those sort of darker times as well as celebrating the good times. Because often we do hear so much, don't we, only about the challenges because perhaps in those moments, you know, there's more scaremongering perhaps online and, and women are more likely to share those than the really, really good times when the hormones are in check. Yeah. Why did you feel it was important to show those down days and the difficult times? Um, I've just always been really real and honest and transparent about what I've been through because mm. I think it's important. And I think sometimes social media can just be this perfect, polished image or life that isn't real and I think it's really it's not fair because I think a lot of us if we are feeling a bit crap in ourselves we might go to social media and then we can't help but compare and then feel completely um even more lost when you sort of think oh god I'm really underachieving and I'm why do I feel like crap and look at her life it's amazing so I think it's really good to show that light and that shade you know of life Mm. um and it's not always perfect And it shouldn't be because life is about ups and downs. And that's when you do truly get to appreciate the good times and have those moments of gratitude. I think it's just important to be honest about what's happening. The one thing I'm scared of is that younger women will start to get scared about the menopause and perimenopause because there is so much more conversation about it. But I always say we have to be prepared and not scared. And that's kind of my my kind of mantra now for women you know we do know so much more so we can be armed with the information and be like hang on a minute if your friend's going through something or if she's feeling a bit low or you know if you could you can have that conversation be like what about your cycles what's happening there you know and you can just start to kind of work it through together Mm. and be aware and prepared so yeah I just think it's 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 powerful that we're able to share and that, that there's so much more information out there yeah Mm, And you say very clearly, I love the intro to your book when you talk about, I promise it will be okay, you know, in the end. And and the title of it, Just Getting Started as well, seeing the menopause as the beginning of something wonderful. Yeah. Um, So often, you know, we do hear about the difficult times, but that is such a positive message that this next chapter can be one that is more fulfilling and healthier and more exciting than you could possibly have imagined yeah it's a book about hope ultimately because it does seem like doom and gloom but actually Mm. once you get a handle on everything and you know what's happening you know how to kind of hack your hormones a little bit more hack your health a bit more make those changes you can literally just grab life by the balls and jump in because that's why I called it just getting started I was 50 when I wrote the book and I was just like all those horrible years behind me I feel really empowered now I feel like what's next you know those Mm. 50 years have gone quickly the next 50 are going to go even quicker like what is out there that I haven't done what have I been too scared to do um 
you know, and I think it's a really lovely time for you to connect with yourself and to learn to love yourself more than ever before and put yourself at the top of that list and do all those things that scare you and go on all all those trips that you've always wanted to do and maybe change your career or write a book or, you know, just just do these kind of like bucket list things. And I think it's really empowering. And it it is our second spring as as the Chinese um, medicine celebrates this time in in a woman's life as their second spring. So that's empowering. And that's like this new lease of life to do whatever you want to do. Mm, yeah so a bit of reframing there now I just do want to go back quickly to you mentioned struggling at work and obviously at hello along with well-being of women we launched the menopause workplace pledge in 2019 what would you say to somebody who feels that they're struggling to fulfill their work commitments and they suspect that could be to do with their perimenopause or menopause symptoms well it is really challenging when you are at work and you feel that there's nobody that you can talk to because you don't want to go to your boss that's the last person you want to go to because then you just automatically just feel that they're going to judge you they're going to like say oh maybe you should go home and not come back um you already feel completely unconfident in yourself anyway and uh, and scared what you might say because your brain sometimes fails you so you're sort of like ah you can't rely on yourself anymore so you know hopefully there is um a policy in place in hopefully in a lot of people's workplaces that's what we've all been fighting for also with the menopause mandate somebody that you can speak to at work mm. somebody that understands that you might need a little bit of time off that you might need an afternoon off to go to the doctors you know to make time for your gp or for your for your appointment if you've started hrt you might need a few flexible working hours or days so that that kind of because some people get a bit wobbly when they first start taking it There's so many things. It's so important that you have somebody in your workplace that you can go to, you know, somebody that's just there to listen to you, to hug you, to give you some time, you know, away from everybody else, you know, more breathable fabrics to work in and more comfortable conditions. If you're in a really hot, sticky Mm -hmm. office, maybe you can have a fan or air conditioning or, you know, it's just you need somebody to be able to listen to you and understand you and not judge you. Um, most importantly but and I really you know I really hope anybody that's listening that that if you are feeling like that that there is a lifeline within your workplace someone that you can confide in and somebody that's non-judgmental and understanding and supportive because that's all we need you know it's not like an infectious disease it's like we're not going to spread the menopause it's like we just need somebody to understand what's happening and it's just a tiny blip as well Mm. and we need women in society you know and women who are in perimenopause are usually at the top of their game they've worked bloody hard all their lives they're powerful they're fantastic and you don't like the thought of women just walking away from work because they just feel unable to cope it just needs a bit of patience and a bit of time Absolutely. Yeah, we've got to start reducing and turning around those stats, haven't we, of women at the top of their game leaving the workforce. It's like one in 10 women. You know, 50 plus. Yeah, it is. Now, Nigat, my list for you has just got longer (laughs) through talking to Lisa there. Um, As a GP and a TV doctor, you're at the forefront of menopause care. What questions are you being asked the most in surgery? Actually, a lot of the questions that Lisa has just spoken about, what are the symptoms that I'm experiencing? Am I going mad? Am I losing the plot? Is it mental mm-hmm. health? Is it the fact that uh, uh, this is, you know, the doom and gloom years I hear because people don't like to share their stories? There is something still within society that we prize youth. But actually, if you think about it, our fertility years and youth years are actually finite. There are a small number of years. 
when our perimenopausal years come, that's about 10 years. And then we're postmenopausal mm. for the rest of our lives. So that could be four or five decades because women are living longer. So in fact, we should be celebrating the wrinkles that we get. Getting older is such a privilege. Oh, absolutely. So the questions are vast. And also the questions be that women are now at a place where they are trying to really fight against patriarchy, the misogyny. And they're saying, I want to understand my biology because no one gave me the knowledge. Yeah, I understood puberty really well because I, I know that was taught at school. I sort of understood pregnancy, my girlfriends. I had NCT classes and antenatal classes. And there was a community around that time. People said to me that my hormones will affect my thought processes and call it baby brain. And, and I knew about that. But then actually afterwards, that's it. We, I don't understand what my hormones are doing. No. And women transition. We transition from our puberty years, from our fertility years, to our menopausal years. And that's the beauty of women. That's why they are so incredible. And we need to celebrate that. Mm. Now, as a GP, when you're in surgery and a woman has come in sort of listing a number of menopause kind of symptoms, how do you begin to kind of work with her on what could be the best treatment? How do you decide, you know, whether that is an antidepressant, whether to suggest HRT? I mean, do you where do you stand on blood tests? Um, I know that there's been a lot of discussion, certainly amongst my friendship group, on whether it's a good idea to take your blood test when your hormones are fluctuating, you know, day to day or hour to hour in some cases. Where do you begin as a GP then to to be able to prescribe the right treatment? That's such a good question. I was recently asked by a patient saying, do I need to even go tell my doctor that I'm perimenopausal? Because when I felt pregnant... I don't know, she tell my doctor I'm pregnant, I just speak to the midwife and it's all dealt with. And now that I'm in this transition, do I need to let them know? Actually, you know, it comes down to your symptoms. If your symptoms are impacting your quality of life and they're stopping you from doing the thing that you want to do, which is thrive, then you need to go and have a chat with the doctor. The thing is, we really need to understand that this is a normal transition. We are genetically programmed as females to go through this transition and the fluctuations of estrogen and progesterone, and then that little bit of testosterone, which we'll speak about later, are normal. But what we need to do is understand that we're not just built for survival. We want mm. to thrive. As we were saying, we're at the top of our game. And we need to be able to ensure that we continue that. It all comes at once. When you were going through puberty and the same hormonal fluctuations were happening, some people who are listening to this podcast will go, actually, my teenage daughter had started her period and her mood was okay and that was fine. But some will probably really resonate the fact that their teenage daughter turned into an absolute monster <laughs> overnight and they were rebellious and they just didn't pay any attention. They were fidgety. They weren't sleeping very well. But we forget that actually there's like decades of lots of crap that we put in our body. So whether that's smoking, whether that's drinking, whether that's work-life balance, mm. our inflammatory factors, our gut plays havoc with us. So when we are then transitioning, then actually we sort of say, but I still want to be the 20-year-old I was going to be, not understanding that, no, we need to change our lifestyle and it underpins with lifestyle. So what's your nutrition? Yeah. What are your relationships like? What's your work-life balance like? What are you putting in your body? All of that needs to then slightly do a shift and we need to grow with our skeletal body. Yeah. And I actually want to see women to come and see me before they get to the point where they're struggling. Now, when it comes to hallway replacement therapy, 
the menopause guidance so in 2019, the NICE guidance were very clear. They said first-line treatment actually is hormonal replacement therapy. That's all we're doing, three letters, hormone replacement therapy, replacing the hormones that your body needs, estrogen, progesterone, and then testosterone for those that need it. And we're not stopping the process or the transition. We're not going to make give you this elixir of youth that some people think that happens. So what I do with my patients is I say to them, you're the boss. Your lived-in experience trumps my 15 years as an experience as a doctor because you're living it. Tell me what you want. And I give them like a, a menu, when replacement therapy, non-hormone replacement therapy, that could be antidepressants, that could be clonidine, that could be cognitive behavioral therapy, that could be acupuncture. Would you want to try more holistic things like ashwagandha? So I was really proud of Lisa saying that she has like herbal treatments or and vitamins and supplements because we've got to sort of think of the fact that we got to take the whole body view so really like that knowledge is power isn't it so that you're going in to see that doctor with a bit of knowledge so you are able to advocate for yourself when you are offered that menu because that in itself could be quite overwhelming for some patients um, what about age? Because Lisa has experienced obviously going into the doctor's early 40s and getting prescribed antidepressants. To what extent do you take in age as a doctor? I'm just going to tell you a little story because I'm perimenopausal. I'm 39. And for many, that's probably really young. But my first symptoms are vaginal atrophy. I'll be 40 in February. And my first symptom is that I'm getting a lot of dryness. I'm still having periods. So I get dryness just before my period starts. And then I get a real intense itch, which even though I'm a GP who does women's health, I thought that was thrush. Mm. And because I've recently self-taught how to learn how to swim. So I thought it's the chlorine that's affecting my skin. And then now realize, so it's been about six months of putting up with these symptoms, uh, going back to sort of my own treatments, my own understanding, because I'm still fine. I, 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 it's only at the time of my period. And then it really dawned on me, oh my goodness, this is vaginal atrophy because now when I use tampons, they get really sticky and sore and my episiotomy scar, because I had my baby, he's now 12 years old, but when I had him, I had an episiotomy and my scar keeps splitting. And I know this is probably a lot of information for people and they're like, oh my God, this is not to be shared. But this is so important. I had a telephone consultation with a, a junior doctor who's a locum, doesn't know me very well, didn't even met me. And he goes to me, oh, I don't think it is anything to do with perimenopause. You're too young. And I went, I read the book. <laughs> and it's not too young. So that just shows you how the fact that we need to stop thinking about age and also we need to really start listening to our body. I've started taking vaginal estrogen and honestly, it's been a game changer for me and I'm so much more comfortable. If you're getting a recurrent itch and it's not thrush, please always think that you need vaginal estrogen. So we have to think about menopause as not just something that's defined by age. We know one in a hundred women below the age of 40 will go through what's known as primary ovarian insufficiency. So they go through menopause early. We know from the SWAN study that black and Asian women actually go through perimenopause naturally around the age of 38. So I'm black and Asian. I'm from a South Asian Pakistani heritage. And actually then speaking to my mother, she similarly had similar symptoms. We also know that women who have their ovaries removed and they have their womb removed 
will go through something called surgical menopause, and that can happen in your 30s, depending on what reason you had it. And now we're in a generation where actually we're having a lot of chemical treatments, say for cancer, that pushes women into chemical Mm -hmm. menopause. So we have to really start reframing how we understand the hormonal changes that women go through and take the age factor out of it because that's so discriminatory. Also, not evidence-based at all. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that about your own journey. Uh, and actually, that is very reassuring for us to hear that even GPs, you know, sometimes don't realise or don't join the dots, you know, immediately because there are so many possible symptoms. Certainly for me, I was interviewing Gabby Logan as part of our um, Menopause Workplace Pledge campaign. And she started listing off her symptoms of getting chronic anxiety at the age of 47. And that was really one of mine that was a telltale sign, something that I'd never experienced before. And it's easy to put it down to other things, isn't it? As you said, you put it down to the swimming and possibly the chlorine and thrush, possibly. I put mine down to stress and a busy work life and the the stuff that I was juggling in and out of work. So often we as women kind of want to put the blame somewhere else. So that is really reassuring. Thank you for sharing that, Nigat. I was just going to say, the thing is, is with vaginal atrophy, it's so little talked about. But the thing is, is that the data shows that the earlier we, that we get estrogen into that area, we stop shrinkage or atrophy, mm. which is a horrible word that just sounds like your vagina's dying. But it's not. But actually, what it means is that the, the clitoral hood and your clitoris, it stops that from having shrinkage. So it stops the, the labia from shrinking. It stops you from getting UTIs and your back passage as well. So the perineum, it looks after that. So when women come and see me in their 60s or you know 50s going, I can't climax. For me at the moment as a doctor, and I don't have a lot of research around mm. it, I think it's because we've just been missing and women have been putting up with their symptoms because they come as hot, hot symptoms. They don't all come together. Sometimes they do. But like, for example, I've got no hot flushes. I think I get a little bit of anxiety because I'm just so busy at the moment. But I don't get night sweats. I don't get any sleep issues. I've got no other symptoms. And it's so easy to put it down to something. We gaslight ourselves. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And especially as you touched upon there, you know, the difference between different ethnic groups and how the menopause can start so much earlier for black women. Um, so, and your book, I mean, is so brilliant on that inclusivity front, you know, that you'll really help to break down cultural barriers that perhaps prevent some women from going to that appointment in the first place because they feel embarrassed. Do you experience that a lot? Does it take, is it a lot harder to get women to go to meetings? Yeah, marginalised communities, so whether it's Black and Asian, neurodiverse communities, LGBTQ plus communities, um, the deaf community the blind community, these conversations are so limited to them because we're not included in research. So even when we go to the doctor with the symptoms, A, we don't have the words. So in British Sign Language, there's no word for menopause at the moment. Mm. In Punjabi, there's no real word apart from derogatory or swear words. So if you don't have the lexicon to be able to speak to that, and then when you go to the doctor, you are firstly already on the back foot. Then you're getting secondhand information through the media that, oh my God, all HRT is a death sentence. It will cause you to have breast cancer. Mm. God, all HRT causes womb cancer or you'll get clots from it. So that secondhand information doesn't filter through to the marginalized communities who already, if they don't have English as a first language, is really hard for them. Mm. 
the NHS are set up for a very white-centric, able-bodied person who's got brilliant English or good grasp of English, who's able to navigate themselves around the system. And so what we need to do is make sure that we have equitable healthcare. But also within our communities, there is still so much shame. The fact that I'm sharing my vaginal atrophy symptoms as the first symptoms, I think that's going to come as a lot. I've never shared that before. And that's only because now I think it occurred to me in preparation for this podcast that I'm such a fraud that if I can't share it as a Muslim Pakistani woman, as a doctor, look, I went to the GP and he said, you're too young, you don't need it. I had to really push back. But I could do that because I'm a specialist in this area. And also I wrote a freaking book. I don't know what else to say. Um, <laughs> well, you're really breaking barriers in doing that, Nika. <laughs> I had to really push him to say, no, I'm not too young at the age of 39. And this isn't thrush. And he was like, let's get some swabs. Let's do this. And all the swabs are fine. But I was just thinking so much time and effort. And Lisa said something which was just a golden nugget. She said, I want women to get a diagnosis faster. Get to A to B without having to go around the houses to get where they need to get. Because we're time precious. Time is such a expensive commodity that we have. And so I, if I don't share it, then actually how do other women relate to it? If you see it, you can be it. That's why Lisa is such an inspiration because she makes me feel at the age of 39, oh my God, like I'm going to have this amazing life. It's such a positive thing to out for. I can be empowered by it. By me, like I'm embarrassed. I know I shouldn't be, but I'm sharing my story for the first time. And I'm hoping that some people will find empowerment with that. Oh, Nigga, they absolutely will. And I think that is so brilliant that you've spoken openly today, you know, and breaking down that stigma and that shame attached to the female body. You know, in some cultures that is deeply ingrained and I know that. So I am grateful to you because that was a big step in talking about that. But we, undoubtedly, you will have inspired somebody that's listening or perhaps, you know, is sharing the same worry to go and get that help, that it's normal, that they're normal at the end of of the day i think we become too hierarchical in our society the doctors are all knowing and you know they're perfect with their healthcare. all doctors don't smoke and don't drink and all doctors are fake mm. body weight and all doctors don't worry about their menopausal symptoms and i think that my sort of ethos has always been is no we've got to come down because like i said lived in experiences is how we teach each other but we're fallible even though i have all the experience I still need to go to an NHS colleague and I need to empower my colleagues. As women, we never prioritize ourselves. And this is a real sort of, this is why your podcast, I was so honored to be on it because it's a calling to be in a good place. Prioritize yourself, take some moments to listen to this, but also let's take away the shame because we are weighted by it for too many generations. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Now, I've got a few more healthcare questions for you. Hopefully, we can sort of answer in a fairly quick fire manner. I know it's not one size fits all, so it's a bit hard to do that. But going back to the blood tests, if you go in saying, look, I think my hormones are all over the place, I think I could be perimenopausal, here's the symptoms I check, and your doctor says, look, let's do a blood test, what should your response be to that? Is that helpful or is it not? Yes, please do a blood test. So if you are above the age of 45, you do not need female hormone blood testing, such as FSH, LH. That's a waste of money, but you do need to get a blood test for thyroid, 
check for anemia, but not just the hemoglobin. Make sure that you say to the doctor, please get my ferritin checked because hemoglobin mm. levels will just check your total level. What we need is your ferritin. Also get your um, diabetes checked, your fasting lipids. So we need to know what your cholesterol level is doing, what your liver and kidney are doing. If you are below the age of 45 and then you've taken your symptom list, as Lisa was saying, then actually it depends on the patient. I do offer them a follicle-stimulating hormone, FSH, and then I repeat it six weeks later. And here's the snag. Even if the blood test is normal, because the blood test only checks for menopause, which is defined as 12 months without a period, Mm. even if the blood test is normal and you're below the age of 40 and everything else has been ruled out as the underlying cause because the symptoms overlap, then I would still say to the patient, do you want to consider hormone replacement therapy? We follow symptoms, not numbers on a piece of paper. Yeah, okay, great. What about fear of gynecological cancers related to the thickness of the womb lining? So the first thing is, if you have a womb, the NICE guidance is very, very stringent on this and very clear. You have to have two hormones, estrogen and progesterone. So estrogen is what you need as the active component. The progesterone will make sure that the lining of the womb doesn't thicken up. Uh, the data shows that women don't have an increased risk of gynecological cancers if they're taking combined estrogen and progesterone. The amazing thing is, if you take it, the marina coil as your progesterone component, that suppresses the lining of the womb. And then what it also does is that it protects you from having womb cancer. So you have to think about the regime that you're taking. But mm. um, on the whole, the benefits of taking HRT outweigh the risks. Yeah, so you shouldn't be taking oestrogen on its own. Yeah, if you don't have a womb, then you can take oestrogen alone. But say you don't have, your womb was removed because of endometriosis, then what we do is that we make sure that we uh, give you progesterone to make sure those endometriotic lesions don't come back. Mm. So that's where your history is so important. Yeah, and is a smear test every three years enough to keep a check on that, on gynecological cancers? So the smear test picks up very, very early signs of either HPV or cell mm-hmm. changes, CIN, around the cervix only. So the smear test actually doesn't pick up cancer. It's meant to pick up the pre-cells yeah. that they turn into cancer and HPV. But actually what we're seeing is, is because of the HPV vaccine, the next generation is that the vaccine is preventing cervical cancer in the future. So please mm. get your vaccine. And if you're if you've got young teenage kids, boys and girls. And for women sort of late forties, fifty plus, continuing to have that smear test every three years is what the NHS recommends, yeah? Nothing more than that. Absolutely. Um so continue to have it. But if it's painful to have a smear test, then please make sure that you use a vaginal moisturizer religiously and you also use, say, a vaginal estrogen as well. Don't be put off. And if you're taking vaginal estrogen, you just need to stop it a day before your smear test and it doesn't affect the sampling. Okay. And what about breast cancer risk and HRT? This is such a huge question. So we need to make sure that we break this down. Okay. So the thing is, is that the newer HRTs, the body identical. So that's your estrogel, your patches, your gels and utrogestan, which is also the progesterone component as body identical. For women below the age of 60, actually does not increase your background risk of breast cancer. We all have a background risk of breast cancer. Currently, as it stands in the UK, is about one in seven. So if there were seven of me, one of me, unfortunately, would get breast cancer. Well, you have to look at other mitigating factors. 
alcohol. So if you're drinking more than the recommended unit amount, it's about 30%. Smoking increases your risk of breast cancer by 40%. We've also got to look at stress as well. So we know inflammatory processes um, also put up our risk of um, cancers in our body as well. If you are over the age of 60, then the synthetic versions of estrogen, progesterone, the oral tablets, which are synthetic, very marginally increases your risk of breast cancer. Topical vaginal estrogen does not increase your risk of breast cancer at all because it doesn't. there's not enough that goes into the bloodstream. Okay, that's really helpful. And there's a great diagram actually in your book that I was looking at earlier, which kind of explains those other risks related to breast cancer. Right, now I'm really keen to bring Lisa back into our conversation. That was such a good sort of rundown. I know, I could just, the listen, medical side, I could just listen to Nigat all day long. <laughs> I could just listen all day long. Me too. Oh, I love it. You're brilliant. Oh, Absolutely well, brilliant. Both of you. That was so, so interesting. So Lisa, with so much going on, <laughs> all of these raging symptoms and well, that thankfully you're in check with most of them now. What does self-care mean to you? How do you practice it? Oh, self-care is everything. And when I let that slide and slip a little bit, I definitely notice life taking over and and symptoms coming back almost. You know how I said earlier, it's like a 360 approach to your wellness, um, to your health, to your lifestyle. Yes, the HRT has been brilliant and really helped, but I've had to implement so many other day-to-day kind of rituals. And for me, it's um, meditation, even though I don't know if I'm properly meditating, but I'm taking that time for me to quieten those thoughts. Breath work is so important. I started doing breath work with this great guy called Stuart on, on, on Instagram back in 2020. And that's been a game changer too. Even if I just managed to do five, 10 minutes of just focusing on my breath, it can really be a game changer because it calms the nervous system. And I find that if I do that at the beginning of the day, it kind of gets me into a really good headspace and my body feels feels calmer. I feel like I'm able to kind of process stress, work out what I need to do, write my lists and be kind of focused and organized. Movement, I have to move. I love to move every day if I can. That doesn't necessarily mean going to a class every day, but it does mean getting as many steps in as I can. Um, the body's designed to move. And I think we, we all just find ourselves sitting behind desks or doing Zooms or podcasts um, and sitting for long periods of time. So we need to move. I love my beauty. I love that sort of time for me, whether it's a long soak and reading my book. Cooking, I find really up there with self-care as well, like cooking yummy food and finding new recipes. And, um, Mm. you know, that kind of thing really makes me happy. And just being outside in nature, just being off my phone, you know, little simple steps, sitting there with the sun on your face or listening to the birds and just trying to take it back to being quite, basic and simple and appreciating those little things. I think for so long I multitasked and I thought I was really good at it and I probably was but I don't think it was very good for me Um, and at this time you know when I was really in the depth of my perimenopause I was just multitasking and burning the candle at both ends and stretching myself beyond my means. And I just felt like my head was going to explode. Uh, You know, that sort of cortisol spike and that adrenal kind of panic on your body. So I've just learned to really step away, really calm stuff down um, and try not to say yes to everything either. I think that's really powerful to say no Mm. and to kind of say, 
what do I need? What do I want? Is this going to serve me? So yeah, all of the self-care, all of the looking after yourself and putting yourself at the top of the list is very important. Yeah, that's interesting what you said there about, you know, just sort of stopping at that pause moment often mm. of thinking, you know, yeah, I could do that. I could say yes to that. I could try and do everything. But how is that going to serve me now? Just mm. giving yourself a moment to pause and think about, as you said, what do I need? What do I want? Like going for a walk and not having your phone with you, for example. You know, I find that quite hard still because I'll be like walking up the street, checking my phone. Who should I call? Let me check. my. And it's like, actually, just put it in your pocket and just look around. Just notice the clouds, yeah. the sky, the sun, the seasons, the buds on the trees, the sounds of the birds. And it's we just always go, 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 go. And I think we just need to slow everything mm. down. And honestly, you notice it. You notice it immediately. Your body just thanks you. It's like a big, and I think we need more of those moments. (laughs) Oh, we sure do. And how do you deal with social media sort of amongst all of that? Because that is something that does seem to be sort of 24 hours a day, you know, going on like this sort of river, this stream running next to us. Do you consciously have periods of social media or times when you don't look at it, how, what impact does that have in your day-to-day life? I'm not going to lie. I am battling my social media addiction day-to-day. It is something that I have to just really be conscious about. You know, it's it's work as well. You know, not only do I connect with people and get lots of messages and want to send messages back, and I love that element of, of social media, but I do still have posts to post and work to do on there so it is it is a very conscious decision to just try and stay away and to minimize that screen time but it's not always possible I'm really quite guilty of just it being in my hand a lot phone glued to hand so yeah yeah and George my partner's always like are you on your phone get off Insta- get off Instagram I'm, like, I'm not on Instagram because I can tell because I kind of go into a weird zone and he's talking at me and he's I'm like he's like what are you doing and I'm like yeah DMing somebody and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. And he goes, you are. I can tell you're on Instagram. So I must have like this weird face where I just go into this weird zone. Um, so yeah, that's not good. But it's, it is trying yeah. to get a bit of a healthy balance and I'm still working on that. It's not perfect, but I'm still very conscious and I'm really trying hard. <laughs> I relate to that as well. I tried to, I did actually delete it from my phone once when I went on a holiday for two weeks because I was like, right, I'm just on a holiday for two weeks. I'm going to be really present. Deleted it from my phone and my finger was just automatically scrolling and going to where the icon was on my phone to begin with. I would just, it was like this connection in my brain was still there. Yeah, it's, it's, it is definitely that dopamine response to your brain it is so addictive it's dangerous and I remember when I was writing the book and I was in Japan and I purposefully stayed off my phone for the last for the whole three weeks of my trip I was there at Christmas time and it's so distracting as a as an app as a tool for our brain that it it stops you from doing so many other things it stops you sometimes from feeling how you're really feeling and I found I don't know if you did when you're on the holiday without it it's really revealing what you start feeling when you're not just using that as a kind of distraction, you know, it's like, oh, actually, no, I am really yeah. tired or, oh, I am feeling that. I think it's it's important for us all to have a break every now and then and just to, to step away from it because you can learn a lot about yourself. It's so true. 
Yeah, those dopamine hits that we're getting mm. all the time. Yeah. yeah, to just it's be exhausting. able to sit with your emotions without reaching for it to fill a quiet moment, yeah. you know, Avoid to something. sit in the silence and yeah. get a bit bored. Yeah. It's so good for you, isn't it? Mm. It develops your creativity as well. Mm-hmm. Always mm-hmm. have my best ideas away from social media, never on social media, funnily enough. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, what about, you've, you know, obviously cultivated such a really amazing and from the outside seemingly supportive community around you and your menopause journey do you get a lot of people emailing you or dming you messaging you with their symptoms and their journeys and how do you deal with that because that's a lot as well isn't it to take on yeah i mean i do i absolutely do it's an important part i think of my social media it's having that connection and trying to direct people into the right place to the right person to kind of offer some element of help and support it means a lot to me and I know that it helps a lot of people so you know that's one of the things that George is like why are you on your phone I'm like I'm just I need to do this and so I sort of try and allocate 10 minutes just to sort of send a voice note or send a couple of messages um but yeah it is a big part of my social media it's not just Mm. the posts that you see it's the it's I call it aftercare it's aftercare with with people that follow me and you know some of them I follow as well so they're friends that I've never met Mm. some of them that's how I kind of like see it and I just I I Mm. for me helping people I'm such an empath that that is so important to me it's um you know that's why we do our midweek menopause madness chats it's like we do it so that we can help people and we can learn together and so it's important to me to keep doing that and to 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 help as many people as I can so Mm. yeah I do sometimes do it to the detriment of my health and sometimes I'm a bit wiped out and a bit exhausted but um I'm trying to get a bit more of a balance there too well now you've got the book as well you know that people can buy and it is such a good read and it is so relatable and you cover so much in it I mean all aspects so that is another great place that people can go to and thankfully there are so many places that we can go to now we can listen to podcasts like this we can buy both of your books and we can follow you on social media if we are sort of nervous about taking that first step and getting in front of a doctor So what about you? I mean, obviously, how do you look after your mental health when you're in surgery all day and you're, you know, patient after patient and you're on TV talking on two different channels all about, you know, the issues that people are having? How do you look after your own mental health? I don't think I do. I'm so honest on this podcast. Mm. Yeah, it's good. The wheels are gradually falling off. So for the first time, I've actually built in a holiday for about eight days. I'm going to do exactly what you've done. I'm going to delete my social media apps and get off social media because I make um, health content as well. I'm also on Beauty Breakfast. I do this morning and I'm so lucky to work with the gorgeous Lisa because we're on practically every week, can't we, Lisa? And uh, we get to see each other and she's like my radiator. She just radiates warmth and kindness. (laughs) And The things that I find works well for me is that Lisa said meditation, but I do pray. Faith is a huge core part of my life, has always been. And Lisa met my dad. My dad's the imam as well. And we come together and have a a lot of faithful conversations. And that for me is grounding because sometimes there's lots of stuff that's beyond your control and you can feel really helpless. And I know it's not for everybody, but for for me and my family, it works really well. And I think the other thing is, is that that whole 
learning a new skill is how I switch off. So I never knew how to swim. I met Prof Greg White and the girls from Her Spirit. And Greg said to me, we live on an island and we don't know how to swim. Growing up in my culture, wearing a swimsuit was just the worst thing. You might as well be Pamela Anderson running on a beach with your boobies going up and down. And so that sort of shame was inbuilt. And that meant older nigga never taught her sons. And I remember going, oh, my goodness, we are on an island and I don't know how to swim. And my boys don't know how to swim. I took them just out of the pandemic for the first time. All three of them sat on the side of the pool in tears, petrified of water. So I got on a floaty and a noodle and armbands and start to learn. And then you started posting about your swimming journey, Rosie. And now I go to the three times a week in the slow lane. But that's my time. That's my 40 minutes to myself on my own, just going mm. up and down the lanes. Uh, and I think that's what it is. It's being hungry for knowledge consistently and reinventing yourself and throwing yourself into scary situations, but knowing that actually it all turns out all right in the end. Oh, absolutely. And bravo on your um, swimming journey. That is incredible. I think midlife can be a time when we want to learn new things. And that is a huge one. You know, well done. You're very, very inspirational. One last quick question to each of you, just for the ending. What discovery has been the biggest game changer for you with regards to menopause? Gosh, I don't know. I'm thinking there's so many. Um, (laughs) What discovery? I think the biggest discovery is that it happens to us much younger, perimenopause, than I ever thought. Um, Mm. So I always say, like, just be prepared, not scared. Like, you know, that's my kind of mantra that keeps going around in my head. But I think Mm. having a conversation with the people in your life, because I guarantee that, Everybody at some point will be experiencing some kind of change, symptoms, issues, things that are confusing them or worrying them. And I think just having a conversation, throwing it out there, being honest, and you'll surprise yourself because you will get such an amazing reaction back. You know, it, it, it makes you not only feel a lo- less alone, but, you know, you're you're sharing with somebody else and that could be a complete game changer for them too. So I think, you know, realising that it happens earlier, knowing that sharing your story with others is really going to help not only you, but them. And then just getting the right help and support because you can, life after perimenopause can be absolutely amazing. And, you know, that's why my mantra also is just getting started because it's not the end of your life. It's the start of a new life for you. So it's a really positive place to be. You have actually got Jennifer Aniston quoted on the cover of your book. It's staring at me now saying it's not the end, but a beginning. Yeah, exactly. Bravo, Lisa, for lifting the veil and shifting the perspective. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. It shouldn't. Yeah, that's it, it, that, a really great one. Yeah. It really is. Reframe it. Yeah, it's 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 a book. It's about hope yeah. and realizing that it's the start of something. You know, it's the old you, but like welcoming the new you and just embrace it and jump in. And what about you, Nigga? What would you say has been a game changer through perimenopause so far? I would say finding in my tribe. Because remember, mm. I working in my GP surgery, uh, wearing a hijab, a Muslim woman, and you grow up in a community where sometimes you're like, there's a lot of colour, am I just a tick box someone? Or is it because I just tick everything or, a, you know, the trophy person at the workplace? 
or is it because there's something meaningful that I've got to say? And I was talking in a space where South Asian women and black women, um, my community would laugh at me when I would talk about menopause. And so I took wow. to social media on a wing and a prayer, hoping that somewhere somebody would find it and resonate with them. And when I called out into the ether, I got linked into just the most phenomenal women by like you two here, but the guys at this morning, Beats Your Breakfast. And I think that we underestimate how powerful and superpower it is to be mm. surrounded by your tribe who lift you consistently, but also empower you, but also lift others along the way and pull out chairs at tables consistently. Yeah. Um, you've opened doors and likewise, I continue to open doors for others. And we underestimate that. And I don't think we applaud that superpower enough. We will always hear about women being bitchy to each other or women not supporting other women. But actually, you know, when you find your tribe, then nothing stops you. And we just need to keep keep that superpower going. Mm, you're so right. When women come together and support one another and collaborate, there is no stopping us. Vegan said something really important. She said, that you get quicker and faster if nobody takes the credit. It's not about taking credit. Yeah. You find that your goal happens so much faster, so much quicker. I think this is where, you know, the well-being of women, uh, the menopause play, menopause mandate, you know, getting prescriptions from the NHS, getting workplace support for women, keeping women in the workplace means that the generation behind us will carry on that sort of level of care for each other and kindness. It comes down to infinitely being human and being kind yeah absolutely well thank you so much to very brave and kind and brilliant talented women thank you for joining me today that's been a really in-depth and brilliant chat i'm sure it will help inspire lots of others thank you thank you So I think my key takeaways from that chat would be first of all around bravery and honesty. Both Lisa and Niga I admire so much for sharing their own personal experiences because where would we be if we didn't hear the stories of other women and they tell them so honestly. Niga there especially went very outside of her comfort zone, breaking kind of cultural traditions to explain a bit about her perimenopause journey. Niga spoke so passionately about creating a tribe. So a tribe of women that can all share their stories and support one another and create a positive community around the menopause has been so helpful to so many so I'm really grateful to them both for opening up like that Secondly, trust your instinct. Nigat made the point that nobody knows your body as well as you do. And in all her experience as a GP, there's only so much that she can tell you about your medical health. So however you feel, you're the real judge of that. And if you're feeling slightly out of sorts or off character for you, then that is the time to call your doctor. Trust your instincts. And finally, there are so many resources out there now for us women to not feel on our own when we're going through this stage of life. Lisa's book, Just Getting Started, and Dr. Nigat's book, The Knowledge, are a great place to start, as is following them on Instagram. And you can follow Nigat at, at Dr. Arif on Instagram. She's on TikTok too. And Lisa Snowden at Lisa underscore Snowden on Instagram, where she's cultivated a really supportive community all around menopause and perimenopause. 
Thanks again to Hada Labo Tokyo for sponsoring this episode. To revamp your skincare routine, all of their premium range products are available to buy at Amazon and in Superdrug. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with your friends and I'd be so grateful if you could leave us a rating or a review. Don't forget to sign up to the In A Good Place newsletter for more discussion around personal development tips, the concept of resetting your life and to share your thoughts with me. Simply visit hellomagazine.com and click on the newsletter icon at the top to register.